So we are beginning a new series of messages today, uh, sort of on the on the premise that we have purchased a fixer-upper down the road, and we're going to sort of take the concept of renovation and use that as a metaphor for understanding what God wants to do in each of our hearts. And so we're going to move through various aspects of uh, fixing up a fixer-upper, and we're really looking at the fact that each of us, in our own way, is a fixer-upper. God is at work renovating our hearts, our minds, our souls, and bringing us to a renewed state where we better reflect who He is. And so, the, the set of books in the Bible that really take up this subject are found in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Probably three books of the Old Testament you're not terribly familiar with, but we'll get there. Um, the, the quick context is Israel, after Solomon uh, died, his, son, his sons divided the kingdom. There was a civil war, and one son took the north, the other son took the south, and sort of, and uh, they, Israel existed as a divided nation for the next several hundred years. Uh, first, the northern kingdom, the northern portion fell to a country called Assyria, and then later this, the kingdom of Judah, uh, primarily where Jerusalem was, uh, finally could not stave off the armies of Babylon. Um, God basically told his people, you have been ignoring me for several hundred years now, and because of that, I'm just going to let you have the consequences of your own actions. I'm going to withdraw my protection from you, and Jerusalem will fall. And when it fell, it, it really literally fell. The Babylonian king was extremely good at demonstrating to people that they had been conquered. And so he brought in his, his mule teams, and he literally pulled apart the foundation of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And he knocked all the walls down. He left the capital city of God's people in literal ruins. I'm going to take you through a set of scriptures that hopefully will demonstrate to you what God was up to in the, in the much bigger picture than just the fall and destruction of Jerusalem and its eventual rebuilding. So, all of this falls under that umbrella that I was talking to the kids about, God's covenant, that he says to his people, I- I've got you covered. And we, as God's people, will inevitably uh, step out from under that umbrella. And painful things tend to happen when we do that. Um, And yet, God always calls us home. He always has us taken care of in a way. And so, I want to show you this, this bigger picture of this covenant. And so, when 
you're remodeling a house, you have to have an architect or someone who understands AutoCAD um, sit down and take all the measurements and put them into the system and they're just collecting data points so that you can eventually see what it is that you have and what it is that you want and then you have a plan to work from, right? So what I want to do first is collect these data points from throughout the Old Testament that will hopefully bring us into this picture of, and give us a picture of what God wants to do. Here's the operating principle here, that what God does in the big picture with his people is very, very similar to what he wants to do on the individual level with each of his people. So what, what happens to God's family, the way he interacts with Israel, his people, is very similar to the way that he interacts with each of us. He wants to bring us out of our sin, restore, rebuild, renew, and make us into something beautiful. Okay, so here we're going we're gonna to enter some data points. You with me? All right, we're going to go all the way back to Moses, and I'm going to, well, actually, let me start, sorry, we're going to start in Ezra, chapter 1. This is the, the first three verses of the books we're going to be studying over the course of this series. And I want you to hear this kind of odd thing. So at this point, Jerusalem has been invaded. Every stone has been torn off of its foundation, including the stones that made up the foundation. And the whole place is a pile of rubble. So Ezra is in Babylon, and this is, what, this is the first thing we see in the book of Ezra. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So this pagan, well, he's not really a pagan, he's a Persian, um, but this Persian king, one of his first actions as king is to issue this decree to rebuild Jerusalem. Why would a Persian king care about Jerusalem. And I'm going to just venture a guess. We will deal with this in future messages, but I'm just going to set this out there. It's probably, the answer to that question is probably a guy named Daniel. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that later. But in short, Daniel had, had acted in some ways in relation to a previous king that had proven that God was speaking to Daniel about the future. And this left an impression on the people of the Near East, and especially the royalty who would like to know what the future holds, that 
this man represented a God who was actually alive and well and in control. So, let's jump backwards to how God's people got to the place that they were in Persia and Babylon and not in Israel. We're going to start with uh, an expression of God's covenant love to Moses. This is God speaking to Israel through Moses in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God's talking to Moses to relay his word to his people. This idea of covenant is the driving umbrella under which God's people are to operate, and I think we'll, we'll come back to this later, but the most important thing here is that we are to be a kingdom of priests, that we are called under this umbrella of covenant to worship God, to bring about the worship of God. All right, Deuteronomy 4 27 through 31, God is also speaking to his people through Moses here, and this is a warning of if you do not keep my covenant, if you walk out from under this umbrella, bad things will happen. You will be scattered, all right? So here we go, Deuteronomy 4, beginning in verse 27, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. And so we have this picture of a God who remembers his covenant, even when we step out from under it. Then let's fast forward several hundred years to the time of David, and this idea of covenant comes back up, and God is remembering that he has made a promise to his people, and David in his attempt to worship God, has said, I'm going to build you a temple. God's house has been in a tent for the past several hundred years, and this is how God responds to David when David says, I'm going to build you a house. God says, no, you're not. So this is uh, the prophet Nathan speaking for God to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men." But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. 
and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Several things going on there, and just real quick. Saul was the first king of Israel. He was a tall man. He was a strong man. He was sharp. He was everybody's pick for king. God, to demonstrate that his will does not need us, took the throne from Saul and gave it to David, who was short and a little hot-headed. He was not the perfect candidate for king. In fact, he was a rather unlikely candidate for king. And God did this to demonstrate that his power is what we need, not human strength, wit, or power. And so, this all takes place under this umbrella of God's promise to his people. And you see, God, all prophecy has two elements to it. A near-term component, God's talking to David about his son, who will be Solomon, who will take the throne. But it also has a far-reaching aspect, a future-looking aspect. And God says to David, your son, your descendant, will be the one through whom I establish your throne for eternity. Um, Solomon was not the person through whom God's throne was established for eternity. That was Jesus, a descendant of David. And so Nathan, as a prophet, is talking about the near-term coming of Solomon, but he's also laying down implications of what the Messiah will bring as well, an eternal establishment of God's throne on the basis of his covenant. All right, we'll get through this. I'm going to jump over to the prophet Jeremiah. This is after um, Jerusalem, well, it's probably before Jerusalem falls, but Jeremiah is saying Jerusalem's going to fall, it's going to be terrible, God's people will be carried away, but that will not be the end of the story. So listen to these words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. So, big picture, this is a a prediction of two things. In the near term, God scattering and then bringing his people back. And in the long term, the, the coming of Christ. He's predicting the, the reign of the Messiah, Jesus, who will come and reestablish and rebuild God's kingdom on earth. Um, all right. Isaiah 44, 21 through 28. This is the prophet Isaiah who... Uh, lives, um, got a little timeline here, before the fall of Jerusalem, but also 
is looking forward, and something amazing happens here. Isaiah, way ahead of the time that Cyrus was even born, predicts by name the king who will issue the decree for God's people to return home. This is a rather impressive prophetic feat. Um, It would be like me telling you who the president will be in 2040. I don't know. Couldn't tell yet. Um, So Isaiah says these words under this idea of covenant, and he's talking about both the near-term and the long-term future of the Messiah. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and the cities of Judah, they shall be built, and I will raise up their ruins. Who says to the deep, be dry, I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. All right, we got through that. Several things that I want you to try to just pull together here. And that is that, so we've, we've collected a few data points from the time of Moses all the way up to the time of Ezra. And now what I'd like to do is just sort of render the image. We've got all the data in the computer. We're going to hit the button that now shows us what the plan looks like. Okay, And I have a little timeline here, and this should not take very long, but Moses lived in 1526. He was born in Egypt. You know the story. Um, God made these promises to Moses that I will remember my covenant. I will care for my people. And he also warned Moses, when you step out from under my umbrella, you, for long enough, you will be scattered, you'll be fractured, and, but I will bring you back. I will redeem you, I will restore you, I will rebuild my people. Um, several hundred years later, David comes along. God renews this same promise to David and says to him, from your bloodline, I will raise up a Messiah that will establish your throne forever the king of kings, lord of lords, that kind of thing. Um, Then we have Isaiah in this timeline who looks ahead and actually foresees the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and the king, the future king who will issue the decree 
for God's people to return and rebuild. Then Jeremiah's words, um, you see in here just prior to the destruction of the temple and the decree of Cyrus, the person Daniel. This is where he fits into the timeline. Um, I need to say this. I'm guessing, right, that when you see a a foreign king issue a decree to rebuild a city that that his predecessor has conquered, um, you got to go, why? Why why would he do that? Probably not out of the blue, there was probably something that got his attention, and the most attention-grabbing individual of that time period was Daniel. Uh, he, the, the king who destroyed Jerusalem, you've got to love this name. No wonder he was such a jerk. Nebuchadnezzar. Like, how do you even nickname that? Neb? Nebud? Bood? I don't know. Anyway. Um, Daniel was taken by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams, and nobody could interpret them. Daniel figured it out. God gave Daniel the insight to Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Then there was this situation where Nebuchadnezzar is like calling himself the greatest person who's ever lived, and he has this big banquet to celebrate him. And this hand appears and begins writing on the wall, and it freaks out everybody in the room. Uh, Nobody can understand it. Daniel comes in and says, here's what it means. Um, his capacity to understand through God's revelation what was going on had everyone's attention. Um, In the book of Daniel, he actually has a dream where he is transported to the city that Cyrus would live in, if that makes any sense at all. He may have gone there. It's hard to describe a place you've never been to. So he may have gone there at some point under when Cyrus... I'm sorry, I really am. Cyrus is a king who overthrew Nebuchadnezzar, and, and so what is currently Iran is where Cyrus was. What is currently Iraq is where Nebuchadnezzar was. Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel, then Cyrus took over Nebuchadnezzar, and he now had these people in his court who could foresee the future. This is extremely valuable to an ancient king, to any king, to anybody. I mean, give me the lottery numbers, dude. Um, And so I think, I'm guessing, it's probably the person Daniel that has the attention of Cyrus. And Cyrus says, if his God has the ability to do that, let's rebuild that bad boy. Let's put his house back in order. And I think that's what we have in, in, that's going on. Um, but we don't know exactly what prompted Cyrus to do this or say this or decree this, but there you have it. And after his decree, about uh, 18 years later, the temple is rebuilt. All right. And then you, you can, we'll, we'll talk about the rest of this timeline later. We've collected some data points. We've hit render. We've seen this big picture. God's no, God has known what he's, what's going to happen the whole time. He's in control. He sees it all. What does it mean for us? We 
when we are engaged in the rebuilding process with God, we want to follow that blueprint, the, the plan that God has for renewing, restoring, and rebuilding. All prophecy is a call to action on the part of God's people. So, first, perhaps foremost, under this idea of the blueprint, we are to worship the God of the covenant. We ought to look at these pieces of Scripture that are strung together through history and say, wow. Uh, I, I don't know how to describe this God who literally hundreds if not thousands of years in advance says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to commit myself to you, you're going to blow it, and I'm going to rebuild and restore you and bring you home. Um, these words like Israel and the land are just a metaphor for home. God is bringing you to himself, home, into his family forever. We are to worship the covenant God who has been planning for this renovation of his people and each of us individually since the beginning of time. God wants you to keep his covenant and he wants you to grow into glorifying him, to be a priest in the family of God, one who leads others to, into the worship of God. You are called to be a part of this amazing story. You are a worshiper, and your worship is everything. It's every day. It's all of it. We're to worship the God of the covenant. We're to reflect the faithfulness of the God of the covenant. If there's one aspect of God that comes screaming through these passages, it is, it is this. He is faithful. He doesn't blink. He doesn't take his eye off the ball. He is faithful. He, he says what he's going to do. He does it because he loves you. And so his faithfulness is to be reflected in our own lives. God knows that you will not perfectly keep his covenant. He, he says that, it says as much in Deuteronomy 4. But he wants you to know that he will always keep his promises. And your call as a worshiper is to better reflect God's faithfulness in your relationships with others. So worship the God of the covenant, reflect the faithfulness of the God of the covenant, and place your hope in the God of the covenant. He has established you as part of his family for eternity, and he is all about restoration, rebuilding, renewing, restoring. He forgives and redeems, and he rebuilds from the rubble of our ruins. I want you to think about your own heart, your own life as a picture that's already been painted in, this, in these passages where God has laid his promises over you 
and said, I will be faithful to you no matter what. And you, if you're anything like me, at one point or another have gone, yeah, that's great, thanks, and walked out from under his will, his love, his covenant. There is great pain there. And God says, look up. I am the God who restores. And I'm not just talking about stones in a city you've never been to. I'm talking about the hearts, the pieces of my people. Each of us has rubble that God is rebuilding into something beautiful. And each of us is part of a bigger building of God's temple that he's bringing together for the eternal worship of his name. The God who loves, the God who restores, the God who's been looking down the hallway of history from the very beginning saying, she is mine. He's in. I've got this. And I will take whatever rubble is laid before me and piece by piece pick it up and build it into an eternal, beautiful home for my people. Will you pray with me? God our Father, we recognize ourselves in these passages that we step out of your love and will, your covenant, and we're, we leave a wake of rubble and destruction behind us. And Lord, we see you stepping toward us, reaching out and drawing us back, rebuilding, restoring, forgiving, renewing. And we thank you that you are the God of the future in whom we can hope. And Lord, we pray that as you rebuild each of our hearts, that we would become better worshipers of you. That everything we do, everything we say, be aimed toward your glory. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Renew, restore, rebuild in each of our hearts that we might give you glory now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.